Hi everyone, welcome to Ask the Horse Live. I'm Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of thehorse.com. Tonight we're talking about equine emergencies. So let me set a scene for you. You get, go out to feed the horses breakfast before getting ready for work. If you're anything like me, you're still in your pajamas, you haven't had your coffee yet, you roll out there and you toss hay over the fence. Everything looks normal at first until one of your horses turns around and you see blood is pouring from her face. Well, today is not going to go as you'd planned. I know I'm not the only one who has faced this. I can actually think of a couple times where I've had this exact same scenario happen. And it's times like that when you need someone like Dr. Amelia Munsterman. Dr. Munsterman is a board-certified uh, surgeon and critical care um, practitioner. She is also a clinical assistant professor in large animal surgery at University of Wisconsin-Madison School of Veterinary Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Munsterman. Thank you for having me. So before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about how you help people in these situations and your experience treating horses in emergencies? Sure. Um, well, I've been working as an emergency doctor for more than 10 years. Um, a few years before that, I was in my residency. Um, so I am boarded in both surgery as well as critical care, which means I'm specialized um, mainly in emergency medicine as well as being able to do surgeries for those particular um, problems as well. So um, most of the time I'm taking calls at night. Um, I've worked <laughs> nights for 10 years and weekends. Um, so it's been, um, it's been a lot of fun. So uh, not a lot of regular hours for, for vets who are taking on these emergency patients, huh? No, no. Um, luckily, um, I don't have to go out in the truck very much, but uh, most of the practitioners that do call in are sending me their cases at 2 and 3 in the morning sometimes. Um, so it is sometimes a long day um, the next day, and it's yeah. definitely worth it. So I want to give everyone a quick review of the Ask the Horse Live format before we get started. Uh, we'll begin with the questions that people turned in during registration. Uh, if you're listening live and have a question you'd like to ask, feel free to enter that in the console as we go along. Also, if you'd like clarification on one of Dr. Munsterman's answers, feel free to ask follow-up questions on questions that weren't your own as well. We're going to try our best to get as, to as many of your questions as possible, so let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Dr. Munsterman, our first question is from Justine, and she's in Salem, Oregon, and she wants to know what kind of problems are typically considered emergencies with horses. Probably the number one problem that we see is colic or abdominal pain, and it can be caused by a lot of different things. Um, it could be an obstruction of some sort. Um, it could be a twist of some part of the bowel. Um, those are all considered emergencies in that you can't tell until you get a full exam on them in order to diagnose what the problem is. Um, other types of emergencies we see, diarrheas. Um, horses, definitely diarrhea is not a normal uh, thing for them and they can quickly dehydrate and we definitely worry about those guys getting way behind in their fluids. Um, other thing we commonly see are wounds and a lot of times even the smallest ones cause us the most problems and we do worry about those a lot. Uh, other things I see, eye injuries, um, dystocias, and sometimes a fracture or two, but um, a lot of those um, definitely are obviously emergencies. Okay, so there's a broad spectrum of the kind of things that you see as a, a 
critical care uh, veterinarian. Definitely. Which so, <laughs> never a boring <laughs> day, I'm sure. No. <laughs> Emanuela is in the United Kingdom, and she wants to know how she can judge whether a situation is critical and whether or not she should call her vet. Sometimes it's hard to tell, and uh, the way I look at it is if you have a question, call. Um, the vets are definitely wanting to hear your, your, your problems, and a lot of times we can answer your questions over the phone. We can give you tips on how to treat this on the farm so we don't have to come out and, and you won't have to incur that expense. And so a lot of times um, you can just call in and, and ask a good question, and we can often direct you in, the, in a way to get your horse fixed. If it's if something that needs to be seen that night, we can do it then. Or if it's something you can wait till the next morning or treat yourself, um, we can give you a good idea of what, what would be an emergency case. I know with my own vet, he says that he'd rather know sooner rather than later so that I'm not calling him at right at 5 and saying, oh, Definitely. my horse has been calling me all day. <laughs> he would rather be able to prepare for that and know that he might need to come out for that. Is that something that you would advise horse owners to do as well? And it gives your vet a heads up in terms of they can schedule their day so that if they have you and they know that you're having issues, uh, they may not make that trip out to do the lameness exam across the county when they know they would need to be close for you. Um, the other thing is that if they can tell her the phone it needs to be seen right now, they can go ahead and reschedule everything and get that taken care of so that you're their, their primary focus. Do you find that your clients use uh, photos now with their phones, texting photos of injuries to you oh, to see if you think it's an emergency? Yeah, and, and I love seeing pictures. Videos are great, too. I get a lot of videos over the phone. Um, so it's a good way for me to see definitely what you're talking about because um, um, different things, the way you describe something in terms of its size could be something I'm thinking completely different. Mm -hmm. And so be having a visual representation makes it a lot easier to say, you know, hey, I need to see that. <laughs> we have uh, Linda is in... Ontario, Canada, and she wants to know what you consider the must-haves to keep in an equine first aid kit. So what do you recommend your clients have on the farm or in their horse trailer in case of an emergency like a wound or, or an injury? Sure, sure. Um, definitely having a couple bandages available, having something like a non-stick pad of something you can put on a wound that's not going to stick to it, and some gauze to hold that on is a great way to put a primary layer on there to protect it until it gets to where it's going. Um, having a couple just leg wraps, stable wraps, um, you can put those on top of that bandage and keep it clean or you can apply pressure in case there's bleeding occurring. Um, those are great things to have. Um, for feet, diapers work great. And so those are terrific ways to bandage the bottom of a hoof or if you have a bleeding wound around that, um, they can keep that nice and dry. Um, Holding those things on, duct tape works great. I always have duct tape available. Um, works for My everything. husband's always looking for the duct tape, and he always finds it <laughs> in my cat box. We have to keep at least five rolls on hand so we all have one. <laughs> yeah. um, hoof sticks, Epsom salts, some betadine to keep, so you can go ahead and, and add some antiseptics for that wound. Um, some uh, just some. Uh, gloves of some sort um, to protect your hands so you can keep those clean. Um, vet wrap, 
always a, uh, something you can have available to hold bandaging on. Um, scissors. Uh, those are some big things. A flashlight's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. um, you're always looking for light in the dark because nothing ever occurs during the daylight hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, other things, maybe some eye wash. Um, you can buy all this stuff at the local tax store or at OSCO. Um, it doesn't have to be horse specific. And that's some things to think of. Okay. And for everyone listening, we did put together a resource article. It's kind of our editor's picks of emergency articles and resources that we have on thehorse.com. One of those resources is a photo slideshow of all of the parts of a well-stocked first aid kit. Um, and if you want to view that, you can go to thehorse.com slash 37914. And I'll go ahead and ask Erica to uh, message everyone that in the in the chat box so that you can have a link to that article. I'm going to go back to Sandy's question. She's in Maryland, and she wants to know what the signs are that a horse is going into shock and what you should do in response to that. Sure. Um, shock is sort of one of those words that it's hard to conceptualize what that actually means. Um, it a lot of times goes along with something else is going on with the horse that's causing them to um, not have enough blood <clears throat> circulating in their system and so they're not getting tissue perfusion or organ perfusion and so it could be that they're severely dehydrated um, it could be that they've lost a lot of blood from a wound it could be that um, they have a GI emergency or gastrointestinal emergency there, there's something um, that's causing them not to be able to take in fluid or food. And so things you would look for, um, if the horse is sweating profusely, um, if, if for no reason, and they haven't been working out, they haven't been exercising, um, if they're dull and not responding to you, not acting normal in terms of their environment, and in a severe way, not just I'm a little depressed, but um, not responding to, to even commands to do things. Um, if you can take a heart rate, that would be something that, um, if you can get a, a cheap stethoscope, uh, you can listen to his heart. Um, heart rates in horses are really easy to take, and so you measure over a minute. And if it's over 50, I start to get concerned, because that's a pretty high heart rate. And that might be something to call your vet about. Um, we have um, a, a question for, oh, I'm sorry, did you have more about that? No, that's good. Okay. Go ahead. Um, our next question is from our live audience. Lynn is asking about moving her horses. Um, she's going to be trailering them a long distance to their new home. And she ha wants to know if you have any recommendations for if she has an emergency or a health emergency while they're moving the horses and they're on the road. Who should she call? Her vet back home? A vet in the local area? Where can she find resources to help out with her horses in that situation? That's a great question, and we see that quite a lot, actually, especially in show season. And so one thing you can do is you can sort of map along your route and see who's going to be along that way. Um, a lot of the big teaching hospitals will take an emergency short term, um, take care of you, and, and they're always open, and they're always a resource that you can take your horse to if there is a problem along the way. If it's somewhere more rural, you can call ahead to those vets and say, you know, I'm passing through. I may be concerned, just um, would you be available and what are your office hours? Uh, a good thing to know is their office hours because sometimes you're in the middle of nowhere and, and you call five people and, and they've all closed. Um, so definitely knowing where you're going. Um, 
and your vet can be a great help too if they know somebody along the way that they worked with before and they they um, have a good repertoire with. We have a question from our live audience. Gina says that she's confused about who to call uh, in during a hoof emergency, such as an abscess or a, a sole puncture or wall broken off. So should she call her vet or her farrier? That's a good question. Um, definitely if it's going to be something along the lines of placing your shoe back on, say they've thrown the shoe, they've um, pulled part of the hoof wall off, um, those are definitely farrier things. If it's something that's actually punctured the hoof or if there's a large laceration that goes along with that, um, that would be something to call your veterinarian about. So things that would involve stuff inside the hoof capsule, um, those are things that, that are more veterinary related versus farrier. And most of the time we would work with them. They can say, you know, hey, this is something your farrier can take care of at home. And this is what we would like. To, we would recommend in terms of chewing or pads or things like that. Okay. Uh, we have a question from Stella in Eden, Texas, and Stella wants to know how to stop bleeding and how to identify maybe an arterial bleed versus uh, just an abrasion. Definitely. So bleeding, um, a lot of times horses, I mean, they have a lot of blood, and so they can lose a lot, and they can look horrendous, and it's not something that uh, would be life-threatening. So it's hard to tell the difference, especially um, when you can't really measure how much is coming out. And so what you can look for is that if the blood is just dripping, you can count the drips. That's probably something that's a vein that's not as serious that you're going to easily be able to just stop with just a bandage. If it's squirting out, that's going to be an artery. And you definitely want to put some pressure on that. And most of the time, just a nice firm pressure up. You may have to place two or three layers to get it done, um, but it's just placing those layers separately, putting a nice compressive layer in between with a vet wrap or a really firm stable wrap. Um, those can stop those bleeds for you. So I have been surprised when I've been around horses that have had cuts where they're ble bleeding quite a bit, how much blood a horse can produce. Um, how much is too much? When should you start getting worried about how much the horse has bled? It's, it's, that's a good question. Um, in terms of on the farm and, and you need to call the vet, I would be worried if it would be, say, um, if it looks like it's, say, half a gallon. Um, something, if it looks like you could fill a glass with it, I'd be a little concerned. Um, so it, it's more along the lines of if you can, can't get it stopped, I'd definitely call earlier. If you can get it stopped, you can, you can probably manage that a little bit longer and, and see what else you need to do. And oftentimes people think of a tourniquet. You, know, you watch TV and people want to put tourniquets on things. Uh, is that something that the horse owner should do or is there, should they be concerned that maybe they would cut off blood supply to other parts of the limb? Uh, what recommendations do you have? Uh, we rarely do use tourniquets in the in our field. We use them in terms of if we're trying to keep a medicine in that area when we're doing a local antibiotic infusion or something along those lines. But tourniquets can be pretty harmful. We don't leave them on for more than 30 or 45 minutes at a time. Um, so most of the time, just a firm bandage is going to do just as much good, and you don't have to worry about compromising or causing tendon damage if you're wrapping that tourniquet around the distal limb. 
um, something along those lines. Those tourniquets can be pretty harmful. I see a lot of them in, in emergency packs, and I don't usually bother to use them. I don't recommend them. Um, a bandage will usually do what you need it to do. Okay. We have a question from Judy in Virginia, and she wants to know how can you tell if a puncture is an emergency? And I know I've had these puncture wounds that don't look that bad on the outside, but once the vet's in them, they've actually been pretty severe. So how can we as horse owners judge whether or not a vet needs to see those puncture wounds? Those are those are wounds that even we have trouble telling if it's a serious one or not. And so we can take uh, an x-ray, if we can put a probe in it in order to see how deep it is, where it goes. Um, definitely if it's over a joint, that needs to be seen as soon as possible because it could be that there's just a very thin layer that's protecting that joint from getting infected or it could have made its way in and then came back out and already infected your joint. And the longer you wait, the worse those wounds will become. Um, if it's over just a big muscle belly, that usually isn't as bad, but occasionally those two turn into some nasty abscesses. And so the, the, if you see a puncture wound, it's better to get that seen and determine where it goes, and that way you're not worrying about it because the worst ones are the ones that don't look too bad, and then they, be, they don't really show up until about a week later. And at that point, you're way behind in terms of getting it treated. Um, you're going to spend a lot more money in trying to get those things fixed and when you could have just done something really quick up front. If you're looking at something that seems like it's going to need uh, sutures, how long? Long can you wait before having the vet out? Is that something where the vet needs to get there immediately to sew that up, or do you have a little bit of time? Is it okay if a couple hours go by? Usually, a wound, as long as it's a couple hours after, that would be fine. The main thing is that if you wait to the next day, those tissues start to contract back. It gets more difficult to get that together. So if you want a really pretty wound, um, if this horse needs to be shown and you don't want a huge scar, um, the sooner you get that addressed and the sooner you get that together, the better. Um, if you know that, say, you're an hour away from the vet, it's going to take a while to get there, just bandaging that flat and trying to keep some pressure on that wound, that'll give you more time and allow you to still have a good outcome, even if it takes a little while to get a suture up. Uh, Dr. Munsterman, we have a question from our live audience. It's a follow-up on the shock question. Uh, Nancy wants to know, if you find a horse that seems like it is in shock, what should you do for that horse? What, what should your immediate reaction be? Uh, the main thing is you need to call either your vet as soon as possible. Unfortunately, there's not much you can do to stabilize that horse with things you have on the farm. Um, so. If we have a horse that comes in that's shocky, that's got really purple mucous membranes, their heart rate is really high, like 60 or 80, we're going to have to use 20 to 40 liters of fluids to get that horse back to stable. And most of the time, um, if you and letting your vet know how, how your horse looks before they come out, they can load up all those fluids on their truck, because that's a lot of fluids to keep on your truck. Okay. Um, most of the time, you don't have that many. And so definitely um, what I would do is uh, if there's uh, something bleeding, try to get that bandaged um, so they don't have any more losses. If they're sweating profusely, you could try to hose them down to try to get them cooler, um, things like that. But uh, the main thing is to get somebody there as soon as possible so they can get a catheter in that horse 
and try to get some fluids back in it. We have a question from our live audience. Brenda's in Tennessee and she wants to know what kind of injuries might you find after a natural disaster such as a tornado? Uh, things you would see after a tornado are mainly um, what I've seen are, are musculoskeletal injuries or wounds, and those are huge things. Um, these horses often have um, had parts of the barn hit them, uh, they may have cuts or lacerations, uh, they may have fractures, which would definitely that would be the worst case scenario, um, and things you would need to bandage. And those are things that you could have a kit ready for, um, or even if you don't have bandages, they've been ruined in the in the the natural disaster. You can definitely use towels and things like that. See, so it's bandaged material um, as a substitute for that. Um, other things we might see are eye injuries. You'd see worry about things hitting them in the eye um, and having something to rinse those out. Even even tap water will work in an emergency situation, um, and especially in terms of cleansing those wounds and getting things uh, cleaner. Because uh, mud, definitely they're going to be in mud. Um, you do worry about if, if it's down here in the south, it would be flooding that you'd worry about. Um, so getting those feet dry and treating the, the nasty thrush that they get after something like that uh, are things that we would um, see after some sort of disaster like that. We have a question from our live audience. Uh, Caitlin wants to know what information a horse owner should be prepared to give their vet on the phone when they initially call for help during an emergency. So what do you want to hear as the vet from your client when they call? Definitely. Um, so that we want to know who this horse is. Um, is it a mare? Is it a gelding? Um, how old is it? Um, what the problem is, uh, what, you've, what you're concerned about, um, how long has this been going on, um, did you notice this morning and he's still doing it this afternoon, um, did he look a little off last night, he wasn't eating a this is normal dinner, um, and the next morning he wasn't eating at all. Um, so definitely how much they're eating. Um, if you can get an idea of how much they're drinking, if they're in a stall and they've got a bucket, that's great. Um, sometimes it's hard if there are, there's more than one horse at the trough. Um, how much they're defecating, especially if it's some sort of colic emergency. Um, if, we, if you know, you've, you said, I've, I usually pick four or five piles out overnight, and this morning there was nothing in the stall. Definitely that's something I'd like to hear. Um, if you can see the consistency of the feces, um, if it's dry, if it's um, bald, or is it um, loose and looks like a cow patty, um, so it, just describing what it looks like uh, can be terrifically helpful in terms of saying, you know, I, I think this horse might be getting a diarrhea versus I think this horse is impacted. Um, so how he's acting, um, how he's eating, what he's drinking, um, if it's a wound, how big is it, um, where do you think it is on the leg or on the body, um, anything you've given the horse. Um, to try to treat it, and those are some things I'd like to know. Um, that'll give me an idea of um, what I need to do next, um, what I should recommend to you before I get there. Okay. We have a question from Stephanie in California, and Stephanie wants to know what you would recommend keeping in a trail riding emergency kit. So we've already talked about what you should have in your barn or horse trailer emergency kit, but it's not practical to carry all that stuff out with you in your saddlebag. So what would you recommend people have for when they're away from the trailer, out on the trail, and there's an emergency that comes up. Definitely. So you don't have a lot of room, so you sort of have to pick which things would be most important. Um, your cell phone, number one. Um, having that in emergency is the 
key to, to getting somebody to come help you, especially if you can't move the horse or if you're stuck somewhere, if the horse gets stuck somewhere, um, you can call somebody and get some help. Um, another thing I like to have is one of those multi-tools. Um, it has um, the scissors on it, it has a, definitely a knife, um, some sort of pliers, instrument, something I can pull stuff out of. Um, it works for everything, depending on which one you get. Um, there's 3,000 things in those things. Um, so definitely that's something that can be helpful in any situation. Um, if you can carry a small bottle of saline just in case there is a wound, um, if that's uh, not something uh, that will fit, you can just take a big plastic quart bag and then you can get some water in that to rinse things off if you don't have any way uh, to carry fluids on top of your saddle. Um, uh, other things to have, maybe a, a roll or two of vet wrap and some gauze or, or some non-stick pad just to put on a wound if you get one. Um, other than that, uh, maybe some antiseptic ointment, something along those lines. Um, I know in my saddlebags I carry things that I could use for a horse or a human, <laughs> some things that are dual purpose. Um, so that's so that's that's what I've I've done for my own uh, riding. But I want to ask if you're out riding and your horse is injured, and you have to make a judgment call about bringing the horse back to the trailer and loading them up and getting them back to the vet. Um, how, what should the horse owner be thinking about as they're making those decisions um, as far as moving the horse and, and getting them back to town? You know, for me, I can be out several hours on a ride and even several hours from town uh, when I'm trail riding. And those are situations that none of us ever want to face, but they do do happen. And it's not like if I, as a rider, get hurt, you know, the the air life will come get me off the side yeah. of the mountain. <laughs> but that doesn't happen for my horse. Yes, it's sometimes difficult, especially um, say if you're in a, a mountainous area and they get stuck somewhere. Um, there are some companies that will come get you, and definitely. If the horse has fallen off a cliff or something like that, the fire department has some resources and some ways to get um, your horse out of some situations where it's beyond your ability to do that. Um, there are a lot of groups now that do equine rescue or large animal rescue, and they have the equipment and things like that um, to get your horse out of those situations. Um, but the, the main thing is, is the horse ambulatory. Can he walk? Um, is he not able to put any weight on a limb? That's where we're getting into a situation where we're, it's going to be difficult to get that horse out without bringing a trailer closer to him. Um, but if they can move, um, if it's just a cut or a wound, um, bandage it as best you can and then get them back. Uh, you may have to walk back, um, but that's something you may have to um, just push him a little bit to get him there. Uh, Roberta is in South Carolina, and she wants to know what recommendations you have for handling hoof puncture wounds when you're out on the trail ride. Um, and that those are actually, you know, fairly common. Your horse steps on a rock or steps on a foreign object, and you end up with puncture wound. How uh, how should you handle that as the horse owner and get that horse back home uh, healthy? Definitely. Um, so if you definitely clean the hoof out. You should have a hoof stick with you at all times, or something like that would serve as a hoof stick. Um, remove the object if you can, and I know some people say, you know, leave the the stick or the metal piece of wire in there, and that way we know where it goes. We can find that later. Um, if you can scratch a little 
uh, circle around that on the on the hoof wall on the bottom, so we can find the hole easier later. And that's fine, but if you see something sticking out of the hoof, I would go ahead and pull it out with your your pliers or whatever you have on you. Um, once you pull that out, if you can try to get as much dirt as, and things out as possible, um, that would be great. And then just bandage it with uh, some duct tape, um, maybe put a little gauze in there to try to put some pressure on that area, and then just cover it over until you get back. And they can walk on, on some duct tape for a good good ways without rubbing it or pulling the bandage off. Um, but the less bulky it is, the better. Okay. And you better have some uh, comfortable boots to walk in, too, because you're probably yes. walking out. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, if you only have three legs, you don't have a lot of choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have a question from Barbara in Wisconsin, and she wants to know what recommendations you would have for a horse that's been stung seemingly hundreds of times by ground bees. The horse is swell, swollen up, it can't breathe, um, and I know where I live, uh, these kind of bee sting situations happen actually quite a bit. They're, they're very scary. So what recommendations do you have for trail riders who run across bees? That's a, that's a hard one. <laughs> um, sometimes they'll chase you down, um, especially mm -hmm. hornets. Um, and hopefully but, you don't have a, a human emergency to handle after the bees yeah. <laughs> have come after you as well. Um, uh, I know some people talk about bee repellent. I don't know how effective it is on the trail, um, but it's something you could carry. Um, but get the horse away from the bees if you can. And then um, if it's multiple things, it's everywhere, um, you need to get them to the vet as soon as possible. Uh, if the nose is starting to swell, there's not much we can do and let, uh, uh, other than put a tube into their nose in order to allow them to breathe. If it gets too severe, sometimes we'll have to do a tracheostomy and so cut a hole in their neck in order to allow them to breathe because they can only breathe through their nose. They can't breathe, breathe through their mouth. Um, so getting them somewhere as soon as possible is lots of uh, stings. If it's not that many, you can apply ice packs to those specific areas. Um, maybe put some cortisone cream or some um, uh, something along those lines and to try to just reduce the inflammation locally. And that can help out in terms of just doing some local repair. But if it's multiple things, they're going to be, the sooner you can get them before they start swelling to the vet, the better. So if a horse does get stung multiple times, is it just going to happen that they're going to have that kind of anaphylactic reaction? or? Yeah, are they like people? Like some people have really bad reactions and some people don't. It's going to depend, yeah, on the size of the horse, um, how much venom those bees injected for each sting, um, how many bees did sting him. Um, so it, it's just going to depend individually on the horse, unfortunately, whether or not they'll have a really severe reaction or if they just swell and have some local inflammation. And so it's sometimes really difficult to tell. But if if you've got more than five, ten stings, I'd be a little concerned that you might need at least some systemic anti-inflammatories to try to help out. Okay. Well, it looks like we're getting a lot of questions coming in about rattlesnakes. So I'm going to jump to our rattlesnake question, Dr. Munsterman. Um, so Jacqueline is in Ramona, California, and she wants to know what should you do if you suspect your horse has been bitten by a rattlesnake? For example, what supplies should you have on hand if that happens? That's a, a very good question. Um, we get a lot of snake bites. When I was um, down in Alabama, we have a lot of rattlesnakes. And so um, they love to bite them on the nose, and then they quickly start swelling. 
Um, rattlesnake venom has lots of nasty toxins in it that can cause nerve damage. Um, the ones we see a lot of times are they start to bleed excessively and they're not able to clot. Um, so that's something that we worry about. And then later down the road, um, you definitely want to have your horse come back to see a cardiologist because we're seeing a lot of these horses come back um, with cardiac changes that could affect their athletic career. Um, so the first thing you need to do if you suspect they're bitten is get them to the vet. And the reason is that if you wait to see if there is going to be a problem and they start to swell on that nose, um, they can quickly swell so fast that they asphyxiate and they're not able to breathe. And so if we are there to, to see them, we get some anti-inflammatories on board, um, we treat them with some IV drugs to try to prevent that from happening, then hopefully we can avoid getting to the point where we have to cut a hole in their neck in order to allow them to breathe. And that would be because the horses are obligatory nasal breathers, correct? That they correct. they can't breathe through their mouth, so they, they don't have any other option if they're, they're swollen shut. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the signs would be that a horse has been bitten by a rattlesnake. I know that lots of times like the bites are so small it's hard to actually find the the point where the, the horse was bitten, but it is usually in the nose. Yeah, it is sometimes really hard to tell. If they're having a lot of localized and it's usually on the nose, um, but if they're having localized science just on their nose, um, there's nothing else anywhere else that's swollen, um, then I would be concerned that there is a bite there. And if you can hear him whistling when he's breathing, that's when you need to get him to the vet because things are starting to close down. Um, a lot of times, even when they get here, we can't even find the little bites. Um, if you see the snake, that's great. And if you can at least get a picture of the snake, then we can tell which kind of snake it was. And that helps, too, if we're going to give him antivenom or something along those lines. Um, if they do need antivenom, they got to have it in the first six hours. Um, otherwise, usually it's not going to work. Um, whether or not it adds to um, or improves their outcomes, that's still controversial. But um, definitely getting anti-inflammatories is the main thing to treat this. And I've heard the recommendation of having a bit of hose so that you could put a hose up the nostril to help clear the airway for, for the horse until you get to the vet. And I know we did receive a question in from that um, during registration, wondering how far up you would push the hose up their nose. Do you have any thoughts or recommendations on on that? And that's something we do do as, as vets, and sometimes we'll use garden hose um, if we don't have one available um, that's, that will work. Um, but the problem is that there's two passages that know that tube could go through and the one doesn't go anywhere and won't help them breathe it actually would make him make it more difficult for him to breathe and so the other one's really small and if you don't haven't had experience putting tubes in their nose you're probably going to miss it and so I wouldn't recommend tubing them yourself um, just because it's risky that you'll get, you'll put it down the wrong hole and the tube has to be quite long to actually get to where it would actually help him to breathe. And so I, I wouldn't recommend that as something to do. Okay. Our next question is about colic. Uh, Lee in Arkansas wants to know if you should walk the horse or not. Do you let it to, uh, lie down or not? Uh, how do you recommend managing the horse until the vet arrives? And I know everyone kind of has a different theory on, on what they should be doing with their colicking horse until the vet arrives. So from the vet, what, what would you like us to do with our horses? 
definitely walking is not going to hurt. And so if, if they are able to walk and they're not trying to lay down on you when you're walking them, that's great. Um, take them walking. You can you can stop every uh, once in a while, not walk them continuously, but if you walk them for 15 minutes and then let them rest, that's fine. Um, it's not going to hurt to walk them. Uh, if they're trying to roll, that'll get their mind off of it. Um, and that hopefully they won't injure themselves when they're rolling. But if they're trying to lay down, you can't keep them up when you're trying to walk them. Um, it's dangerous for you to try to do that. And so what I would do is just find, take him out to the arena somewhere with a wooden fence, something that's not going to, he's not going to get his legs caught in. And if he wants to lay down quietly, that's fine. If he rolls, that's fine as long as he's, he's nowhere he can get cast, nowhere he can get stuck in a fence. Um, that's not going to make things worse. So that's the good news. Um, but if you can walk him and it's safe for you, I think that's fine. It actually will actually stimulate or increase his GI motility, which is great. Her next question is about laminitis. Elaine in Utah wants to know what you should do if you suspect your horse is foundering. Should you consider this emergency and call your vet right away? If you suspect it, I would call him right away. Um, the main thing is, um, how do you recognize if he's foundering? And so, ways I would look, things I would look for is you can put your hand on the front of his hoof and see how hot it is. If it's a lot hotter and it feels really warm compared to his upper limb, I'd be concerned there's a lot of inflammation there. Um, if you can put your fingers around his fetlock on the back and feel those vessels, and if they're pounding against your thumbs and your fingers, and pushing really hard, I'd be worried that he's got really high pulses and he's inflamed. Um, if he's not walking well, um, if he's leaning back on his back legs and has his front legs sort of out in front of him, I would be concerned he's foundered. And so the reasons that they can do this, there's a hundred. Um, so the main thing is to put him somewhere comfortable that he can get his hose into a comfortable position. If that's a sand arena, that's great. Um, it's just somewhere he's not walking on hard hard ground. Bed is still really deep. Um, make him comfortable in there. Make it so he can get to food and water because um, sometimes they won't move very much and they won't actually make their way over to the water bucket even if it's four feet away. And so it, make sure he can eat, drink, he's comfortable, has somewhere he can lay down and has a nice thick bed and then have your vet come out and take a look at him. I wouldn't haul him if you possibly can. Um, because the trailer rides really rough on their hooves if he actually is foundering and can make things worse. And that, that's a good segue into our next question, and it's from Joyce in South Carolina. Dr. Bunsterman, she says that her vet is more than an hour away from where she lives, and she wants to know what tips you have for stabilizing a sick or injured horse while you wait for the vet to come, and how do you make that decision about whether or not you should call the vet to you or take the horse to the vet? And it sort of goes along with what we were talking about earlier, that um, you can call your vet and find out which would be better for him. Um, so it'd be better if your foundered horse stayed home and he came out to look at him rather than you hauling your horse for an hour for you to, him to have his radiographs there. Um, it's also going to depend on what needs to be done. And so if you have a really bad wound and you think it's in the joint and you're going to need to have that flushed out, that's something that he may want to do at the clinic rather than on the farm where he has a, a more clean environment to do that in. And so a lot of times you can just discuss it with your vet on the phone say, you know, this is what's happening. Um, do you want to come out or would it be better if I brought him in 
um, and would it be safe for him to, to travel that far? And so that's something you can discuss with your vet and get it, um, the options. Because um, sometimes it, it, maybe you don't have your trailer. Your trailer is, the tires are always flat on your trailer. <laughs> and so you go out and you're like, oh, i got to change the tire, and it's going to take me two hours to go get a new one, and things like that. So um, sometimes if you're in a situation where you can't trailer them, um, we can work with you and, and at least give you some options other than um, no option at all. Our next question is from Penny in Ontario, Canada, and she wants to know what you should do to deal with eye injuries. And I had a rash of eye injuries. You know, they say things come in three, threes, and I had three eye injuries within a short period of time, three different horses, and and they're such a hassle. Um, and of course, two out of three happened in the evening when it's dark. You know, have to take them to the clinic, but. Um, if your horse has an eye injury, how much of an emergency is it? Do they need to go see the vet immediately? What should you do if you go out and see that they're squinting and their eyelashes are pointing down and they're weeping and they obviously have done something to their eye? That's that's a good question. Um, eye injuries can go quickly south. And it can be just a little ulcer the night before and then the next morning it's ruptured. And so if if it's possible, with an eye, I like to get them in as soon as possible. If it, if you can open their eye and you don't see anything sticking out of it, um, if it looks like you can see into the eye okay and it looks like the inside's clear, um, things like that, you could possibly wait till the next morning when it's bright and you can hook up the trailer and all those things and make an appointment to be seen. But um, if if it looks like there's, if you can't see in there and you can't tell what's going on, um, unless he has a piece of his eyelids ripped off, um, those are things that I would. It's better to get seen immediately, and get some drugs in there, and get him comfortable because eye injuries are extremely painful, and you don't want to to leave him overnight uncomfortable when you could just get it fixed. So, so that would be what I probably recommend. Um, Motion sent in a question via email and wanted to know. What you should do if you suspect your horse has eaten a poisonous substance or a poisonous plant? Uh, what recommendations do you have? Those are there's hundreds of thousands of things that could be poisonous. So um, what I would definitely do if you think, say, things I commonly see are if a horse gets into cattle feed, and there mm -hmm. are some things in cattle feed that are toxic to horses, or um, if you say have alfalfa batch that has some beetles in it and you're concerned about that. Um, so what I would do is save that feed or if you, you see him eating a weird plant, save that plant so we have an idea of what it is. Um, try to figure out how much he's eaten. Um, if uh, you have a 50 pound bag of cow feed and he's eaten 45 pounds, good to know. Um, but the sooner the better, if you can get him somewhere to get his stomach pumped, um, that's what he needs to have done uh, because that will prevent him from absorbing those toxins and having those issues. If it even waits, their stomachs can empty in an hour to two hours. That's how fast it happens. Hmm. And so you need to get them somewhere as quick as possible as you think it is. Um, but it will say they got into the grain bin overnight and they've uh, eaten their fill and all their buddies had some too. Um, it, even though it may have been overnight, um, we can still pump some of that out and try to reduce the load. And we can also give them some charcoal, some things to absorb some of those toxins um, to try to prevent those from being getting into their system. 
Our next question is from Brenda in Tennessee, and Brenda wants to know what are some signs that a horse has heat exhaustion, and what recommendations do you have for handling a horse that does seem overheated? That's a good question, especially this time of year. Mm -hmm. um, things you might see, say you have them on uh, an endurance ride or a trail ride, something along those lines. Um, things I worry about are if they're sweating profusely, their nostrils are flared, um, they have a really high heart rate, you get off of them, you walk them, and they're not cooling off. Um, those are signs of, that I'd be concerned that this horse is not responding appropriately to his heat stress, appropriately to the amount of exercise that he's had. And so things you can do is try to cool him off. It, you could hose him down. Um, I wouldn't put wet towels on him because that's actually going to trap heat against his skin. Um, even a wet blanket can, can trap it, even though it's a cool blanket to begin with. But um, getting them hosed off, um, walking them, squeegeeing that water off in between, um, that's going to try to get some of that heat out of their body and out of their system, and that can help them out. Um, the main thing is, is sometimes you want to get some water into them and get them to drink, and that can be difficult to do. And so you can offer them different kinds of water. Um, a lot of times, after an endurance ride, they'll actually prefer lukewarm water over cold water. Um, so that might be something to offer them, uh, as well as maybe um, an electrolyte water as well, to try to get them some, some fluids into them and try to get them cooled off as quickly as you can. So that's talking about a horse that's overheated. Um, what about a horse that's hypothermic? Does, do you come across that very often? I know we're always wanting to wrap our horses in blankets and, and keep them cozy warm. Um, do they tend to get too cold as often as they get too hot? Not as often. They're actually really well adapted to cold. Um, the one species that isn't is donkeys. And so you may see donkeys have issues with cold weather. And even though they're so tough, sometimes they will get hypothermic. Um, the ones I worry about are really old horses and babies, and those are ones that you definitely want to get blankets on, have them somewhere they can get out of the, the wind and the cold. Um, so those are the ones that you'd, you'd worry about. And if they do get cold, uh, the main thing is try to get some blankets on them, try to warm them up. Um, if you take their temperature and it's below what it registers on your thermometer, that's when you need to call the vets. Um, he can put some warm fluids into their stomach. Um, he can get some warm IV fluids, um, some of those things to try to warm them up internally as well as the blankets on the outside. Um, other things you can use, especially for babies, are those little heat lamps. You just don't want to get them too close to them. Uh, so put your hand on the baby and make sure that your hand's not getting too hot um, underneath that heat lamp. I know where I live, we're in the high desert, so we have really cold nights and then really hot days and especially when the horses have shed their coats and we're just kind of in that transitional phase um, we'll get some mornings that are pretty crisp um, and I always worry about them if I see them shivering a little bit. Um, is shivering a sign that they are really cold and, and need to be bundled up or are, is actual hypothermia have some more severe uh, clinical signs? Yeah, yeah hypothermia usually is is more severe. And so if you see them shivering, that's the natural response to the environment, and that's a good thing. It's when they stop shivering and they're getting colder and colder, that's when things are going really bad. And so um, other things you can look for to see, are they too cold? Is uh, What's their mentation like? Are they getting depressed? Um, that would be a sign that they're not responding appropriately to the environment. They're not able to warm themselves back up. 
Um, are they um, eating, drinking normally, things like that. And so if he's, he's able to respond, he's shivering, um, it, those are good things. And may, he may need a blanket in the morning, um, but it's not going to be something that's going to be it's something I'd be concerned about. We have a question from Catherine in West Virginia, and she wants to know, what is the best way to help a horse that has cast itself in its stall? Those guys can be a difficult thing. Um, there is a way you can you can flip these guys, and there some people say you can do it with one person. I'm I'm not physically able to do it, and I'm pretty strong. Um, but you can get two people, and what you can do is loop a, a rope around the down back leg, and use that. You always want to approach these horses around their withers area. Uh, because a down horse is going to sometimes flail around, try to get up on his own. And so their head is a weapon, and their feet are weapons. And you don't want to get hurt trying to get this horse flipped over. Um, but if you stand at their, at their withers um, behind them, and you can pull that leg towards you and over, um, sometimes it takes that second person with a rope around the front down leg to flip them completely over. <laughs> Um, but that's something that um, you can do as long as you have room to back up. Um, if you don't, then you may be able, to, may have to move them around the stall first before you flip them over. Or if you can just pull them away from the wall and let them get up on their own, that's an easier way. But um, some, there are some good pictures on the internet about where you're supposed to stand. The, the large animal rescue people put out a good little diagram of that um, when you're trying to flip a cast horse. So if your horse is cast in a stall, you probably need to phone a friend and get some help. I would help. definitely phone a friend. <laughs> you hate to be halfway through and you, you, you're like, I've, I've only got three more times I can do this. And, yeah. and <laughs> it's either just do it once and be done with it. And that way, if, if there is a problem, if you do get stuck, um, the horse does accidentally hit you, then you've got somebody to help call. Mm -hmm. um, we have a question from... Kim in Quebec, Canada, and she wants to know what recommendations do you have for handling a choking horse? And before you get into how to help the choking horse, can you explain a little bit about what it looks like when a horse is choking? Because it's not quite the same as when a human's choking. Sure, yeah. So when humans choke, we're actually obstructing our airway and we're not able to breathe, and so you use the Heimlich. With horses, you don't have to use the Heimlich. Uh, what it is is that they've eaten something either um, they've eaten food too fast. Um, it could be an old horse that doesn't chew their food appropriately, and so they're eating large pieces, um, or they're eating a treat they really like and they swallow it too quickly before they chew it. And so what it's doing is it's, it's obstructing their esophagus, the tube that goes to their stomach. And in other species, this isn't quite as much a problem. They could probably handle it for a while, but because horses have to breathe through their nose, uh, their esophagus empties right above their trachea. And so over time, as they continue to make saliva and swallow the saliva, or if they continue to try to eat or drink, um, they will fill up their esophagus in front of that obstruction. And eventually it's going to spill into their airway and they're going to breathe that in. And so things you'll see um, if you go outside and you suspect your horse is choked, um, one thing they will sometimes have is most of the time they'll have some feed coming out of their nostrils. And food should never come out of a horse's nose. Um, that's something that is very concerning. Um, you want to have somebody take care of that as soon as possible. Um, other things you might see is the horse looks like it's retching or it's stretching its neck out over and over again. 
Um, you may see it um, actually look like it's colicking. Um, they can throw themselves on the ground trying to relieve it themselves. Um, but the main thing you'll often see is food coming out of its nose. And so to fix this, um, what you'll have to do is have your vet come out and place a tube into his esophagus to try to flush that obstruction out or push it down into his stomach so that it'll relieve that obstruction. And so how long do you have before um, the horse is critical in a choke? Like, is it something that needs to be managed within uh, 10 minutes, an hour, half a day? You've got some time. Uh, the main thing you worry about is, um, is the horse getting dehydrated over the day, as well as if he's still trying to eat things and he's getting all that stuff into his lungs. Right. And the sooner you get it fixed, the less likely this horse will have a pneumonia set up. And those pneumonias are going to take three to four months to fix with antibiotics and lots of meds, giving them every day. Um, so if you can get them fixed, the sooner the better, the less likely they're going to have a pneumonia set up shop. And the less likely you'll have to have them on those drugs for that long period of time. So what I would do is that if you see the, if you just, if the horse chokes in front of you, say he eats really fast and suddenly he's coughing, and he's got food coming out of his nose, um, you can take his food away, take his water away, um, give him a little while to sometimes relax. And if he, sometimes the esophagus will relax on its own and they'll pass it within an hour or so. But if he's continuing to, to gag and um, try to push that thing through and he's coughing and he still has food coming out or saliva coming out of his nose, um, you probably need to either haul him somewhere and get the vet out to have them pass that tube in order to get it removed. Um, but definitely, I wouldn't wait a, ha a whole day to get this done. We have a follow-up question from our live audience uh, about overheated horse. Uh, Conceta wants to know if you can use rubbing alcohol to help lower a horse's body temperature. That's a good question. So um, with uh, an overheated horse, you could pour alcohol on them and, and allow that to evaporate. Um, the issue you get there is, um, the reason I don't use it anymore is because that alcohol, the fumes are quite toxic. And you can imagine if you're pouring them all over this gigantic horse, you're breathing it in as well as the horse is breathing it in. And it can cause some pretty nasty upper airway um, inflammation. And so you don't want to add problems on top of it. Um, you can use it. Um, it probably will help a little bit, but water works just as well. And it's easier to have a hose there than enough alcohol to make a difference in terms of cooling them off. Okay. And we have another follow-up question um, in our last few minutes here of, from Caitlin. And she wants to know if there are any other emergencies you see more often in donkeys than in horses. One thing we see a lot are dog bite wounds. And hmm. so they're, they're small. Um, they're the perfect size for a pack of dogs to chase down, and so um, we do see a lot of donkeys coming in for dog bites. Um, the main thing with those is if you can identify which dogs were involved, then we can know if there's a possibility of rabies, things like that, if these horse dogs were vaccinated. Um, and then a lot of these wounds do not look too bad the first day. Um, but the main thing about dog bites is that they have the punctures, but they also have a crushing mechanism as well. And so that muscle sometimes starts to necrose or die off over the next couple of days. And so these wounds can look beautiful the first two, and then the entire side of the neck falls off the third day. 
Um, so it's something that sort of needs to be continually evaluated, um, have rechecks on, um, but they heal great um, if, if people are willing to take the time to treat them. Um, honey is a great uh, wound dressing and it's cheap. Um, that's something I've used on a lot of these dog bites to help fill them in and help get them cleaned up. So it's something um, that can be used on those. My uh, neighbors have, new neighbors have a couple donkeys and they, um, I can't imagine those donkeys allowing uh, dogs anywhere near them <laughs> but, or anywhere near even our area of the neighborhood because they are, they are, their alarms, anything that's moving through, you can tell when the coyotes are coming through because the donkeys let everyone know it at four in the morning. Yeah. So. And they are pretty protective, but if there's a small one, miniature horses, or if there's a full, or if they can get one separated from the group, mm -hmm. that's when they get into trouble. Yeah, for sure. So, well, uh, Dr. Munsterman, we have run out of time tonight, unfortunately, but uh, we sure appreciate having you here. I want to thank Dr. Amelia Munsterman for joining us. Um, and I also want to thank everyone who sent in questions ahead of time and joined us live tonight for that little bit of technical difficulty that we had. Thank you for sticking with us as we got Dr. Munsterman back on the line. Uh, next month we're going to be talking about managing the fearful horse, so be looking in your email for an invitation to that event. Uh, we hope you can join us for it. Until then, from all of us here at the horse, uh, good night and happy riding. <laughs>